It's such a privilege and an honor to be sharing with you on this particular series on activating authentic community. And I've spoken to you on the subject of mutuality. I've spoken to you on the subject of vulnerability. And today we're going to talk about social awareness, social awareness, one of my favorite topics. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence here. We thank you, God, that you are with us and that you really want to minister to your people so deeply because you value authentic community. We open our hearts to you and we pray that by your spirit, you would reach down and really, really, really minister to us where we are at. We open our hearts to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, many smart people today are known as the brilliant jerk, the brilliant jerk. I don't know if you work with people like that, but this is because they were hired by the organization because of their smartness. But sadly, because of their poor relational skills, no one wants to work with them. No one wants to work with them. And very often it's because of a misbelief that they had. You see, they were rewarded because they were so smart. They won the maths prize at school, science prize, etc. So they came up with a misbelief and the misbelief was my smartness alone will get me to the top. Two years into corporate, they realized this doesn't work. I need the other stuff. What's the other stuff? Resilience, assertiveness, uh, listening skills, uh, ability to build a wonderful personal brand, ability to connect with people. Right? And when we master the other stuff, it helps us in life. It helps us in life. And one of those aspects of the other stuff is social skills. It's social awareness, which is what I'm going to talk about today. You see, social awareness is that capability that helps us to be in tune with where another person is at. That's social awareness. Social awareness is the ability to get outside of yourself and be in tune with what another person is going through. Social awareness requires that you get outside yourself and you focus on others. And sadly, we live in a society where, where self-absorption is the norm. So many people are caught up in me, myself, and I. Let's be honest. We're preoccupied with self. You know, we may be Christians, but often our worldview is actually riddled with what I call humanistic meology. Even some of the songs we sing are just about us. They might be so-called spiritual songs, but it's what can God do for me? It's not really worship. All right. And so we may sing Jesus be the center of it all or be Jesus be the center of my life. But if we're honest with ourselves, many of us dread such a life where Jesus is the center and we're not the center anymore. Right. We much prefer being the center of it all, being the center of our own universe. So what would your life look like if you were more socially aware? What would it look like? And you know, central to social awareness is empathy. And empathy comes from two Latin words that mean feeling into. M and pathos, feeling into. And we will touch on this uh, during this particular sermon. In Romans 12, 15, it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. And in this message, I will discuss different types of empathy and why they're so important. I'm also going to highlight some barriers to social awareness. And I'm going to leave us with some practical tools that can help us to become more socially aware. You see, social awareness will only come when you get outside 
yourself, when you get outside yourself. And social awareness actually affects all aspects of life, doesn't it? For example, deliverance from self-centeredness and selfishness is a major key to marital bliss. You'll find that <clears throat> the divorce rate goes down after seven years of marriage on average. So most people who get divorced, it's within seven years of uh, starting the, that particular marriage. Then afterwards, the divorce rate goes down, right? And why is that? It's been found that very often after that seven-year itch, that's when people realize, oh, it's actually not about me. And they're delivered from selfishness. Oh, it's actually also about the other person. There's someone else here too. Often when I counsel couples, I sit down with them and I have to say to one of them, you know what? Um, you need to realize that you're not a bachelor anymore, right? It's not about you. So it affects so many aspects of life. And I wanted to give you that marriage example. In essence, social awareness is an antidote for selfishness. And the quicker and the sooner you get delivered from selfishness, the better. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 4, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. So powerful. And that word selfish, it's the word in the Greek erytheia, and it literally speaks of mercenary self-seeking. That's what selfish ambition is. Mercenary self-seeking, okay? Or acting for one's own gain. And the sad thing is in business, we see it today with no longer win-win, where it's like, what can I get out of you? What can I get out of you? And it's when people do this, regardless of the discord that it causes, regardless of the division that it causes, selfish, selfish ambition is ruthless. It is ruthless. And originally, when you, when you study the etymology of that word, it would speak of people soliciting votes politically. All right. People doing favors for other people so that they can be voted for by those people. So selfish ambition is really not great. It places self-interest ahead of what the Lord declares as right or what's good for another person. Ask yourself, what are my motives when I do what I do? And when it says value others above yourselves, again, very powerful. And you don't hear that being preached uh, nowadays. Everything is just about self, self, self. And it's two root words there, hupo and echo. And it means to hold above or to rise above or to be superior, right? So when you place someone above yourself, you're allowing them to be superior. You're holding them above yourself. Now, what would happen if we related to each other in that particular way? Because what I hear spoken of today is basically, how can I keep ahead of everyone else? How can I make sure that I'm above all of you and you're below me? But here we, we see Paul writes, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. It's speaking of motives, isn't it? Do great things in life, but make sure it's not being driven by selfish ambition or vain conceit. It goes on to say, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Imagine the people around me were all looking to my interests and imagine I'm looking to their interests. Imagine the powerful community we would build up. 
So my question to you is, do you know what others' interests are? If you're going to look out for their interests, do you know what their interests are? And how do you know? Have you made assumptions about what their interests are? Have you spent enough time listening to them and observing them in order to find out? Are you only fighting for your interests? In Romans 12 verse 10, it says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. So when I go to church, am I just looking for honor? Am I just looking for appreciation? Or am I looking for an opportunity to honor other people? Am I looking for an honor or opportunity to look out for their interests and then to minister to them? Extremely powerful. In Romans 2 verse 8, it says, But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. It's very interesting that if you end up rejecting the truth, if you end up following evil, often the precursor to that is that you were self-seeking. Now, these scriptures from the book of Romans that I've read to you, what does it mean to be socially aware that you're devoted to certain people? What would the world look like? What would your community look like? If we were to honor others above ourselves, what would our community actually look like? I think it's so powerful when you begin to explore some of these things, you know, ambition in and of itself is not wrong. Okay. If you look at the original word that speaks of ambition, it was quite negative. As I mentioned to you, it spoke of uh, flattery uh, and unsavory means of gaining a following. All right. But nowadays when we use the word ambitious, it's fairly neutral, isn't it? Okay. Um, it's basically the strong desire and determination to succeed at something. So there's nothing really wrong in essence with being ambitious as a person, right? However, there's something wrong with selfish ambition, all right? Why are you ambitious? Why do you want to succeed? Is it for glorifying self or is it to God's glory and the betterment of society? Why is it? In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 24, it says, no one should seek their own good but the good of others. Now that's about three or four scriptures I've given you that just emphasize the importance of not being self-seeking, but being socially aware. Now, when you meditate on this scripture, it impacts you in terms of how you drive your vehicle, how you make decisions in the workplace, right? Uh, how you treat your workers, how you pay people, what you offer to pay them, right? No one should seek their own good but the good of others. When you pay your workers, are you thinking of their good or are you just thinking of the profits that you're going to make and what your balance, bank balance is going to look like and what your financials are going to look like at the end of the month? This is so important. When you fellowship with your brothers and sisters, what is your main goal? What's your main goal? When you attend a church service, what is your main goal? How socially aware are you in these contexts? Are you primarily seeking your own good or that of others? And have you noticed that we are drawn to people that are socially aware? It helps us to actually like someone when they're socially aware. We often feel drained by those who are not. Just think about that. In Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to read from verse 31 to, 20, to, to 33. Powerful scripture that uh, most of us are familiar with. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? 
For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Have you noticed that seeking first God's kingdom will involve social awareness because very often God has placed you in an environment so that you can change it and influence those around you. That's kingdom business, isn't it? And this will only happen to the degree to which you're socially aware. And you see, very often because we're caught up, so anxious about meeting our own needs, we're not kingdom-minded. And that's why Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear. Let's be honest. How often are we preoccupied with this? What's for dinner? What am I going to eat? What's everyone else taken and what's left for me? Right? We're so preoccupied with those things. How am I going to look at that particular function? If you go to a function and you're very deficit-based in your thinking, in other words, protecting yourself from danger, how will people see me? Am I dressed appropriately? Right? If that's what consumes you, there's no space for you to actually minister to another person. There's no space for that. Is self-preservation or anxiety limiting your social awareness and displacing it with self-absorption? Is self-preservation or anxiety limiting your social awareness and displacing it with self-absorption? If you look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, dead people are not easily hurt. If you see someone who's lying down dead, for example, you can kick them as hard as you want. You can kick their body. They're not going to jump up and say, oh, that was sore. That was painful. And here Paul the Apostle is saying, I've been crucified with Christ. I'm dead. My flesh is dead. It's not easy to hurt me. I'm beyond that. I'm beyond you uh, wounding me because of what you say to me. I'm a dead person. I'm a dead man walking. My flesh is dead. It's died in Christ. That is so powerful when you meditate on this. You see, I think so many of us are so self-absorbed that even when we look like we're interested in the people around us, very often there's love with the hook. Sometimes we ask people questions because we want to be seen as polite, not because we're deeply curious, not because we deeply care about the other person. In Mark 10, verse 45, it says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as ransom for many. You see, it's one thing as a leader when you serve people to help them to accomplish their dreams. It's quite another thing when you use people so that your dreams are accomplished. I remember John Maxwell once saying that, and I think it's so, so powerful. So reflect on your primary purpose. Does it involve serving others and giving your life up for them? How far does it actually go? Is it about building a name for yourself? Is that what drives you? Or is it about serving others so that they can accomplish their dreams? 
You know, a revelation of social awareness will actually affect your leadership style. Look at what Jesus says about leadership. And he's specifically highlighting here how James and John didn't have the right motive and how true leadership True leadership, biblical leadership, is not the same as the world's approach to leadership. In Matthew 6, 19 to 21, he says, do not, store your, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart also be. This is so powerful and so important. And then look at this, Matthew 20, 26 to 27. Not so with you in terms of leadership style. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave extremely powerful in terms of our approach to leadership and how we deal with mammon. So what's going on here? What's going on here? Jesus is emphasizing that the world's way of looking at money is different to how you will look at it. Jesus is also emphasizing your, the world's way of looking at leadership is not the same as how we should look at leadership. And in these two main areas, leadership and money, it's so crucial that we have a different approach, okay? Different approach. Let's talk about leadership first. Come as a servant, that's servant leadership. Come as a servant. You hear it spoken about so often to a point where people in the world today are looking at, the, at leadership as, it's my opportunity to have people serving me. Yet Jesus says, you know what? You must, if you wanna be first, then serve others. James and John were in a situation where their mother came to Jesus and says, can, said, can one of my sons be at your right hand and the other one, your left hand? Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking for. You don't know what you're asking for. And then he warns the disciples and says, you know what? Leadership in the kingdom is not the same as worldly leadership. The leaders of this world, they focus on themselves and they lord it over those whom they're leading. Right? In Matthew 6, he talks about mammon, mammon. Let me tell you something. If you are still bound by mammon, there'll be no room in your heart for, self, for social awareness. No room. Mammon includes the debasing spiritual influence of money. Mammon is the spirit behind materialism and greed as it relates to the use of money. And if you're in business, it's important to always be thinking win-win. You know, there's some shrewd business people out there. They won't do things that are illegal. But when you actually trace their lives, you see that, wait a minute, how come everyone else around you is ending up second best when it comes to some of your deals? And very often it's actually because that the mindset of that particular business person is, I want to win and I don't mind you losing in the process. It's important that when we're doing business as biblical Christian business people, we're thinking win-win. We're thinking of the good of others, not just the good of self. I believe that God is taking us to a place where we're not so consumed with mammon. We're not consumed by that spirit that controls materialism in the world. Some of these people are so consumed with winning at all costs because they're bound by mammon. And that's why Jesus said, do not build up for yourselves treasures on, in earth 
where moth can destroy them. But build up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We're talking to someone recently and he was just sharing with us how as a business person, his desire used to always be just climbing the corporate ladder and he was consumed with this. And at a certain point, he started looking for significance, significance in his life. And we asked him the question, what does that actually look like? I remember my wife asked him, what does significance look like? He says, when I do things for other people, that's so fulfilling for me. When I make a difference to other people's lies. And we see that for many of us, that's where the shift is. Many of us, that's where the shift is. What are we doing for people? And often it's an age thing, isn't it? You get to that age where you're like, what have I been chasing all this time? What have I been chasing all this time? What have I done that's of eternal value? Social awareness will help you with this. One of the biggest barriers to social awareness is self-protection and self-absorption, right? Am I too preoccupied with protecting myself from danger that I don't have the mental space for you and your current needs? My folks were around recently and um, I remember dropping off my dad at the physio. He had had some physio appointments and this was going to be his last one with the physio and the bio. But I don't actually remember asking him afterwards how he felt. All right. I was so caught up in the next task. And as I was preparing this sermon and going through it, I realized I didn't actually ask him how he felt afterwards. And I sent a quick message earlier on just to make sure I'm practicing what I'm preaching, okay? But I sent a message because I'm genuinely interested and I genuinely care, but I realized I was so self-absorbed with the next task. It might be good things that I was doing, but sometimes we can be so task-orientated that we forget to ask people follow-through questions. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9, it says, resist him, standing firm in the faith. Okay, resist the enemy, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. You see, being socially aware will help you to remember that you're not the only one going through a tough time. You're not the only one going through a tough time. You see, pain seeks pleasure. And very often when we're going through physical pain or some physical ailment, we end up getting so self-absorbed thinking no one else is experiencing what I'm experiencing and I'm the only one going through this until we realize that, wait a minute, my brothers and sisters all around the world, there's so many of them who are also experiencing suffering. Now, the context here when Peter wrote his epistle was persecution. And he was reminding them that just be, be firm in faith. How can you be firm in faith? How can you be courageous? Know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. You see, when you're socially aware, you end up remembering that you're not the only one going through a tough time. Other people are going through worse. I remember um, speaking to a particular gentleman quite recently and counseling him and he was going through certain things in his marriage. And then I just said, oh, I've just come out of a situation where I received a phone call and this person is going through this. And then I received another phone call and this one is going through this and this and this. And he just said to me, oh, when you're going through what you're going through, you forget that there are other people who are going through far worse. How socially aware are you as a leader? In a leadership blog, Vicky Noel states, social awareness is our ability to accurately pick up on the emotions of other people and understand 
what is really going on with them. Leaders have to suspend doing what they like to do in order to practice social awareness. We have to stop talking. We must stop uh, the running uh, of a monologue in our head. You know, that running monologue in our head during an interaction. We should stop anticipating someone's answer before they speak. And we have to quit trying to come up with our answer while they're speaking. Instead of looking inward to learn about and understand ourselves, social awareness is looking outward to learn about and appreciate others. Social awareness is grounded on our ability to recognize and understand the emotions of others. I want to encourage you to tap into social awareness. Now, there are two basic capabilities that will help you to become more socially aware. And the first one I want to explore is curiosity. Curiosity. Many people think that they understand their people, but you'll only truly understand the people around you when you dig deeper with regards to some of the following things I'm going to share with you. Are you curious concerning some of these things? For example, what are their strengths? If you really want to understand someone, what are their strengths? And these are questions you can ask these people. You don't have to have all the answers. What are their strengths? What are the overextensions of their strengths? You see, someone can be a very good storyteller, but when they overextend that, they end up dominating conversations. Someone can be very goal-orientated, but if you want to really understand them, also understand the overuse of that. They're goal-orientated, but sometimes they get fixated and absorbed. So absorbed with certain things that they're so fixated They've got blinkers around that particular thing. And people say to them, it's not just about your project. Our things are also important. We're not saying throw the baby out with the bathwater and stop being goal-orientated. But hey, just watch out for the overuse of that strength. Do you understand the overextensions of the people around you? What are their deepest fears? As a coach, I know this well, that when you sit down with someone and you want to truly understand their world, Ask them that question, of what are you afraid? Of what are you afraid? Do you know what motivates them? Do you know what their gaps are? Do this as an exercise where you just sit down with someone and you ask them these questions. What makes them cry? In other words, what makes them feel sad? What energizes them? What are their emotional triggers? In other words, what pushes their buttons? What are their wins? It's so powerful when you sit down with people in a team setting, whatever setting it is, and you say, what's your win in this area? And they say, you know what? What I'm longing for in this team is to see A, B, C, D. Gives you an opportunity if you're their leader to clarify the win and to say, you know what? That's great, but this is the real win. This is where we want to go. Or to sit down and say, okay, I now understand what flicks your switch. What brought them here? Why are they still part of your team? What brought them here? What brought them to this church? What do they love about it? What will keep them here? What will make them leave? What are the deal breakers? Have you ever thought of asking your spouse that? What will make you leave? What are the deal breakers? What's the thing that you dread the most? Ask these people, who influences you? Who do you actually listen to? Whose sermons do you listen to midweek? You know? Maybe sometimes you listen to your pastors on Sunday, but you listen to other people. Who are your favorite authors? And you know, when you know who influences someone, who their heroes are, you can influence the influence, influencers, can't you? Who are their heroes? 
What do they expect from me? Do you know what they're expecting from you? These people who you're wanting to understand. Do you know what your spouse expected from you when she got married? Do you know what disappointed her along the way? What do they need from me that only I can give them? That's a powerful question for us as pastors to ask. Guys, what do you need from me that only I can give you? I remember some years ago, I was feeling bad. I was feeling like the people who were reporting to me weren't, um, I wasn't spending enough time with them. And I shared that with them and I said, no, don't feel bad. You're doing more than enough. It's important to find out what people expect from you. And that only happens when you're socially aware. Otherwise, you can be barking up the wrong street. Those of you who are children in families, have you ever thought of asking your parents that question? Hey, what do you actually like about me? When do you enjoy my company? What can I do differently to make it easier for you to parent me? Think of asking your parents that question. Great leaders understand the norms of their followers. And it's only when we are socially aware can we truly minister deeply to someone. Only when we're socially aware can we truly adapt to the people around us. Learn to ask people questions that they've never been asked before. And I always say this, right? If you ask someone a question they've never been asked before, you get them to think about something they've never thought of before. And when they think about something they've never thought before, they end up saying things they've never said before. And when they say things they've never said before, your tongue is a rudder, isn't it? The book of James says, right? When they say things they've never said before, they end up doing things they've never done before. And that's the power of question asking. So learn to ask people questions that they've never been asked before to get them to start talking about things they've never spoken about before. Second tool I want to give you in helping you to become more socially aware. The first one was curiosity. Asking these types of questions. The second one is empathic listening. Learning to really listen to the people around you. So you first have to be observing and deeply curious, and that's why you observe, then you ask them questions, then you listen, then you listen. And I'm tired of this thing where people think they're very, very spiritual, and they've got this wonderful connection with God, but they've got very poor social skills. You know the people I'm talking about? Sometimes they're very pseudo-spiritual, right? But when you talk to them, they just preach at you. They've got poor listening skills, right? The moment you start speaking, they get easily distracted. It's important that we're not just spiritually mature. It's important that we're relationally mature. So let's talk a bit about empathic listening. I believe that one of the main antidotes for self-absorption and selfishness in general is learning to listen with empathy. And empathic listening often manifests as listening with a heart that is deeply embedded in curiosity. Now, there are three types of empathy, and I've shared this with many of you before. The first type is emotional empathy, and that's, I feel you. I feel you. So if I say, I've got a headache, and you say, oh, Paul, how do you carry on teaching with a headache? Oh, Paul, how do you continue with your daily routine when you've got a headache? Are you going to cancel some of your meetings, right? The next type of empathy is cognitive empathy, and cognitive empathy is, I get you. I follow your logic. I see where you're coming from. And often what it looks like is active listening, active listening. So as you are speaking to me, I'm like, wow, 
Sure. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, yes, I'm following your logic. I know why you would do such a thing. Oh, that must be so frustrating for you. Can you see? It's, it's, it's not the same as feeling into, just in terms of the emotional aspect, right? It's now the cognitive aspect. I'm following you mentally, not just emotionally. And if I ask you who's your best friend, you'll say it's so-and-so. And I say, why is he your best friend? And you say, I'm not stressed out when I'm around them. I don't have to pretend because he gets me. He gets me. And the third type of empathy is empathic concern. Empathic concern. And empathic concern is I'm here for you. Imagine you're there in your workplace and someone comes to you and says, my child is sick. I need to go and see my child. Right? Empathic concern is where you say, don't worry, we'll cover for you. It's very practical. We will cover for you. You can go and sort out your child. And very often, people need all three. I still remember doing a particular seminar some years ago for a particular pharmaceutical, and I did actually have a migraine. And three different people showed me the three types of empathy simultaneously. At the same time, they showed me the three different types of empathy. Very often, people need all three. Some years ago, my wife was not feeling well, and she said to me, my love, I'm not feeling well. And I said, don't worry, I've got things covered. I'll sort out the kids, I'll make a plan for dinner, I'll do A, B, C, D. That was empathic concern, I'm here for you. But later on that evening, she said to me, I don't know if you really understand how I'm feeling. It's like there's this thing sitting on my head, and she went into detail describing how she was actually feeling. Of course, I got defensive. And I'm like, of course I understand how you're feeling. That's why I've been doing this and this and this. And I was starting to feel unappreciated. But because I understood that there are three different types of empathy, I was able to say to her, you know what's actually happening? I've been showing you empathic concern. I'm here for you. But what you need right now in this moment is emotional empathy. I feel you. I feel you. When someone shares something with you, show them that emotional empathy. That's the first thing to do. Hey, I feel you. You see, in the workplace, if you say to an individual, it's fine, I'll cover for you. Go and sort out your, your child. Go and look after your child. That's great. That's empathic concern. But when they come back to work two days later and no one asks a follow-through question, how's your child now feeling? They feel a bit confused. And they won't necessarily give you feedback because they're grateful that you covered for them empathic concern. But they're confused. They're like, is there no emotional empathy? Is no one going to ask me a follow-through question? And they just keep quiet, feeling detached from you. So it's important to demonstrate all three types of empathy. I've learned that every relationship is built one conversation at a time. And so it's so crucial for us to master the art of conversing with people. The natural question to ask in this particular message uh, a message like this where we're talking about social awareness is what does social awareness look like in the context of conversing? And I'll tell you what, it looks like what I've just described to you, empathic listening, empathic listening. In James chapter 1 verse 19, it says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Have you noticed that you, if you're an angry person, if you're an angry person with a bad temper, your tendency is to be quick to speak, quick to speak. And the more you talk, the angrier you become, 
right? That's why in anger management, what do we say to people? You know what? Sometimes just press pause and take a few deep breaths in and out, in and out so that you calm down. Be quick to listen. Be slow to speak. And it says everyone must be like this. Just because you're a leader doesn't mean that you've got license to just be angry with everyone. All right. Just because you're the dad of the family doesn't mean there's license for you to be angry with everyone. Now, when was the last time you set aside time to solely listen to someone else? Okay. Who's important to you as opposed to setting aside time to tell someone something. See, very often we, we make a meeting with someone. We set an appointment because we want to tell them this. I want to tell them that and I'm going to tune them out on this and I'm going to tune them out on that. When was the last time you set aside time solely just to listen? Say, you know what? I want to spend time with this person because I really want to hear them out. That's social awareness. Do you plan what to listen to as opposed to just planning what you will say? If you want to build your listening muscle, because it's a muscle you build up, you need to consider planning how and when you will listen. Do people talk about how great you are or how great you have made them feel? You know, when it came to Nelson Mandela, people would say there was something about him. There was something about him. He had this self-effacing humility about him that unlocked greatness in the people around him. You'd think you're about to meet this great man, but you'd leave his presence feeling great yourself. Is that your desire? That when I meet with these people, I want to unlock greatness in them and I want them to leave my presence feeling great as a person, as opposed to, I just want to show them who I am and I want to leave feeling great. I don't care how they feel. Think about that. Do people talk about how great you are or how great you have made them feel? When people share their opinion, do you automatically start sharing yours or do you draw them out because you are genuinely interested and genuinely curious. Think about that. How do you start a conversation? Do you ask people how they are doing in a conditioned way, but then you don't end up listening to them? You know those people who do it just because it's a cultural thing you're supposed to do? You know, people can pick up when you're asking them because you're genuinely curious and when you're asking them because you're just trying to be polite. People can pick up when you're desperate to speak about yourself and you've got your things you want to say, but you just want to quickly get out, get the pleasantries out of the way. So how are you doing? Are you doing fine? Okay, let's now go into the main thing I want to talk about because it's all about me. Okay. You see, someone once said, this was Ken Blanchard. He once said, real communication happens when we feel safe. Real communication happens when we feel safe. Do you know how to make the people around you feel safe? What are you doing to make your family members feel safe around you? What are you, making, what are you doing to make church members around you feel safe? Employees at work feel safe. I like what Maya Angelou said in The Heart of a Woman. She said, the most called upon prerequisite of a friend is an accessible ear. Think about it. The people who you call a great friend, it's, because of, it's not because of all their talking. They've, they've got an accessible ear, an accessible ear. Often we blame other things for our poor attentiveness. Have you noticed that? Who or what are you blaming right now for your poor listening skills? Are you the kind of person who say, ah, but those sermons are boring. 
No, you're the one who's got a listening problem. Just face it. You've got a problem just with attention. And we, I see it in services. You see the people who are constantly fiddling. You know, you see the people where, you know, uh, they're always just looking around, they're disengaged. And you can't say, oh, no, because your sermons are long, because this inattentiveness is happening from the start of the sermon. Okay, so we're not talking about when someone has been preaching for over an hour. We're talking about at the beginning. Right. What are your attention skills like? And do you tend to keep blaming other people instead of looking at yourself and saying, you know what? I need to work on this. Lord, help me to become a better listener. I'm always talking because I'm impatient and maybe because I'm proud and I'm more interested in what I have to say than what another person has to say. Be honest. Are you creating meaningful spaces for your people's stories to be heard? The people around you, the people you say you care about so much. See, there are certain stories that will only be told when the right questions are asked and when a safe environment is created. So instead of forcing your family members to talk, focus on creating the right environment as a social architect. And I'm telling you what it is, it's a listening ear. I've seen it with certain people. If I'm talking to them and they're sharing a story, and then I look slightly distracted. You see that story ends, it ends very quickly. But if I draw them out and ask more than two questions deep, oh, that person can speak for ages. Sometimes it's quite dangerous because you end up being there for hours. But why do they do that? They're more confident and they feel safe because they feel there's an accessible ear. Let's take a long, hard look at ourselves and assess our listening skills. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 7, it says, There's a time to tear and there's a time to mend. There's a time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. Are you speaking when you should be silent? Think about that. John Vorta said, the truth is I interrupt because I like to control conversations. I want them to follow my agenda, to proceed at my pace, to end where I would like them to end. Because of that, I'm quick to speak slow to listen. Often it is easy to talk. It's easy to convince people. It's easy to persuade them. We often have the mindset that we have the best thoughts to share. But in doing so, we're missing out on a whole world of ideas that could actually enrich us. And guys, this is pride. This is pride. The person who's the most influential in a conversation is actually the one who speaks second, not the one who speaks first. You see, when I only speak after having first listened to you, I can actually use that fodder to convince you, to inspire you, to persuade you. The fodder from what I've heard you say. I end up using your own lingo. It's a very powerful technique. You're more likely to listen to me if I first listened to you. Sometimes we're caught up in this thing like, I must speak first, I must win. And we dominate people. Let me encourage you. If you're struggling with talking too much and not listening, give yourself the silent test. Right? Give yourself the silent test. Just make a decision in your next meeting with person X where you usually dominate the conversation. Just say, you know what? I really want to listen. I'm going to be quiet for 10 minutes. For many people, for some of you, you really struggle with this. I want to be quiet for 10 minutes. 
And I'll just ask follow-through questions, drawing them out. And let me see how rich that conversation ends up being. Let me be deeply curious about what the other person is going through. And let me see how much I will learn as a result of it. Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, use this person to teach me. That's humility. That's humility. For how long can you be quiet in a conversation? And I'm talking about quiet and engaged. I'm not talking about quiet and detached. There's some people who are just quiet, but they look detached and disengaged. I'm talking about active listening. I'm talking about empathic listening. Often you can tell when someone is asking you questions just to be polite. And when someone is actually asking because they're genuinely curious. So I want to encourage us. Let's be authentic in this journey of social awareness. It's not just something we do because we want a wonderful personal brand. It's deeply embedded in the work of the Holy Spirit in us. A deep work of curiosity. A deep work of listening skills. A very deep work of humility where we're saying, I want to actually put other people above myself, as the scripture says. I'm not talking about being a doormat. I'm not talking about forgetting about looking after yourself and self-care. We talk about that a lot. And I want to balance it with what scripture says. Look out for the good of others. Look out for other people's interests, not just your own. Make sure it's win-win. Make sure it's win-win. And I want to conclude with this statement. We honor God's creation by being attentive to it. We honor God's creation by being attentive to it. Let's pray. Father, may you come and may you do in us a deep work of social awareness. May you help us, Lord, with this pillar of emotional intelligence, where, Lord, we become aware of the needs of those around us, where, Lord, we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, Lord, which often involves caring for those around us. Lord, give us divine wisdom to know what to do when we become socially aware, when we now know other people's interests, when we now know other people's needs. Father, give us strength, supernatural strength, to know how to adapt to the people around us. Lord, may you form and fashion authentic community in our midst as we become more socially aware. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. And the people of God said, Amen and Amen. God bless you.